Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes, a 30-year Wall Street veteran who's had to go underground, take on a secret identity in order to provide you with my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen my face on TV. You've seen me quoted in the news, but my boss would never allow my unfiltered views on the air, so I've disguised my voice, and they'll never know. This week, we look at the August 5th, 2011 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, small and mid-cap edition. Um, but before we get into that, I'd like to introduce a very good friend of the show, uh, returning from last week's uh, appearance directly from Wall Street. I'd like to introduce Mr. Mo Mentum. Mo, thanks, Val. And uh, you know what? What I would like people to know is that I have 29 and three quarters years of investment experience. Yeah. Uh, because I was actually interviewed by Valve at the first firm I worked for, and I think you have been working for six months. You have six more months yeah, experience than I, I do. do, and it's really, really proven to be valuable. Well, uh, you're always going. You're yeah. always going to be six months ahead of me until death. Then you could catch up. That's possible, but at least yeah. in professional terms. Yeah, that's how right. I, how do I ever win that race? Uh, well, I could retire for six months, and then you could catch up. Do something well, like that. More on that later. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the meat of the show, I need to introduce a couple of caveats. First, this show is for uh, entertainment purposes only. And that's not a guarantee. Secondly, it's after work, after hours, just a hobby. You know, uh, both Mo and I are professionals doing important work during the week, uh, looking at filings and ratios and talking to management and, and, we, and models. And, you know, we don't do any of that here on the show. And finally, and I'll speak for myself, uh, I have been uh, drinking. It is after hours. I'm just, you know, Wall Street's a busy place. I'm just trying to enjoy myself here after hours. So it's after hours. Yeah. If it gets any more after hours, trading's gonna reopen. Yeah, we gotta get going. But um it uh pretty tough day today, wouldn't you say? Well, judging from uh, how much liquid is left in that bottle on your desk, I would guess that it has been a pretty tough day. That was supposed to be for emergency purposes only. So you could broke the glass we opened and it today. That out. Yeah we opened it today. So. so how'd you do? Well uh Mo as you know we run a little small cap value uh product here in the shop, and uh, our benchmark in terms of the uh, uh, the index that our institutional clients like us to beat is called the value, I'm sorry, the Russell 2000 value. So that's our benchmark. And, uh, and that small cap, big yeah, cap, it's everything. That's small cap value. All small cap. And so I have it on the screen here. Uh, that was down 5.47% uh, today. And, and that's a big drop. And then our our composites, uh, yeah, we were down uh, five point two percent today. So uh, that was not a great a great day. So we, let, let, let me ask you a generic question, since I'm not that familiar with with small cap names. They typically, I would assume, more volatile than the rest of the indices. Well, small cap's going to be more volatile, for sure. In part, um, they're smaller, so um, investors coming in out of the stock have a chance to affect the stock a little more. Um, there's simply not as much liquidity in the name, not as much inventory held by principals, um, and not as much you know natural demand to absorb the flows of supply and demand. So, yeah, you get a lot of swings. 
Also, in small cap, you tend to, because they're small, um, when you have a, a period that looks a little bit difficult, like perhaps, oh, today, for example, let's say that your view is that the trajectory of the economy is going to head south all around the world. That's certainly what it seems like people were thinking today. If you do that, small stocks certainly have the potential to be harmed more. Um, Why? Just because they're, they're, they're reflective of younger companies? They're more fragile? Or what other reasons? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're younger. They, they don't have as many deep relationships. I mean, if you're doing $100 million, I mean, the obvious thing is you only have $100 million worth of customers. So if it's three big customers or 10 or 20 that could harm you, you have, you have risk, and the market reflects that in traditionally uh, lower you know, PEs on average, um, bigger swings in up and down days. And you know, these, these statistics are all available on the Russell site, russell.com. You can go in and, and dig into that. But I think basically it's what can happen to a small company has a lot more variability in the short term than what can happen to a big company. They tend so not we, to be as capitalized often. Yeah, right. They... Uh, they're not as well capitalized. Their customer relationships aren't as long. They don't have people that have been at the company as long. They don't have a core. You know, for example, just to pick a big company, IBM, and, and I'm going to make some of this up, but they could have 10,000 people that have been there for 20 years. I mean, that's a very powerful core group of, of uh, you know, of a stable entity. Whereas a, a new company, um, you know, we bought a little bit of a company the other day called Limelight, which handles the, uh, uh, the traffic of Amazon and Netflix. This is a young company. Their industry is just really coming into its own now. Um, somebody could invent something next week that is superior to their product, and boom. So um, you have, uh, you know, the potential for disruptions, I think, are much greater in small companies, too. And, and frankly, that's why we do it. It's, it's, a, it's an opportunity, really, for an analytical team to dig in and look for those competitive advantages that the market might not know about. You, so. know, you know, when I think about small cap, one last thought on that before we go to our names. When I think about small cap, I often think retail investors. When you look at these companies, are they mostly owned by funds? You're a pro. I know that if the majority of the stock is in hands like yours, you're not going to panic. Or are they mostly in? Well, the... I did lock the windows, so you did, uh, yes. that was not a panic move. That was a safety calm move. And, yeah, safety. Yeah. Safety. Move. I think that's important. Um, well, you know, I, I think that uh, I would actually take the opposite view. Retail investors, they like to own things that they've heard about. So the big cap names, like for example, Starbucks. I can go to a party and talk about Starbucks. And people want to buy it. Why? They've heard of Starbucks. That might be the exact wrong reason to buy it because you've got demand for the stock that's being created for completely non-economic reasons, which is, hey, I once went to a Starbucks, so must be a good company. Small stocks um, require more analytical work. So, so you think the IQ level of a small cap owner is higher no, on the retail side I, than the... Person who bought Starbucks would, at a cocktail party. I would never really bring that into it. I've seen high IQ people do terrible and low IQ. I mean, that's not. It's. Are do you have a good instinct, a good detective uh, I did, I instinct? Mean, I didn't mean actual IQ. Yeah. No, I think that the small, a more informed investor, base. more informed investor base is going to need to uh, is likely to skew towards small. 
the more general investor base is likely to skew large. And in most big uh, institutional portfolios, small cap, you're really just looking for a little slice of that. There might be investors who think that they should have their whole net worth in small cap value. I'd personally be one of those. Um, I think that's where you do find proprietary knowledge and have the best chance to earn an excess return. But um, that might be counterintuitive to people who, um, you know, think that these little companies, you just, you can't know everything because there's so many uncertainties that could happen next week from companies you've never heard of and disrupt their business model. So you get both views. But overall, it's a less efficient market, so the likelihood of doing a little bit of work, a little spade work, might yield a much higher return than a super well-covered big cap name where all of the knowns absolutely, are known. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, the, the, the history bears that out, uh, Mo, uh, that small cap beats large cap. Um, and it just makes sense. That's where you can apply an effort to get an edge. And in large cap, it's, it's just real difficult. But today, frankly, uh, large cap did a little better than, than small cap. Small cap, you know, again, we got hugely beat up today in the market, no matter where you were. But small cap value today was the worst performing uh, U.S. index, the Russell 2000 value. I think the only others that did worse were the uh, Argentinian market and the Brazilian. But I do, uh, I would say that the big cap indices were down a lot today too, well, uh, in the four four percent, five percent range. And um, speaking about getting hit, the first name you wanted to talk about, I think, was down seven percent today. Yeah. Well. All right, well, let's let's get to some of these names. Um, this is an intriguing name, especially since it got hit so badly. Well, Waddell and Reed is a big fund. And, you know, th this is the industry that came up in Value Line today in the small and mid-cap edition this week, dated August 5th. And we're doing it a day early. But, um, you know, so we just go, and, you know, what's in the issue? Waddell and Reed is a big fund company down in... Uh, in Kansas City, I believe, Overland Park, and, uh, you know, it doesn't name their brands right here, but I think, don't they have, uh, they have, I think, some famous brands in the mutual fund space. The other thing that's not on this uh, value line that I'm looking at right here is the assets under management, and a lot of times for a big asset manager, and I've been at a lot of them, the value of it is going to be based on the assets because the assets are what drive the revenue. And a good rule of thumb for asset managers is you're, you know, you're in the three to four times uh, revenue base uh, for uh, for evaluation. And on here, I'm seeing revenues of a billion, and I'm seeing a market cap of. Uh, let's see, uh, where's the shares? Uh, let's see, five, wait a minute, 85 times 33, what's that math? I don't have a calculator here. 85 times 33, I just got one. That's 2.8 billion. So I've got a billion in revenues, and a rule of thumb on these things is three to four times revenues. That means just on the fund business alone, if this billion dollars is all fund, you'd argue that it'd be worth three to four billion, and today it's trading at 2.8 billion. And then, of course, I don't have the AUM here. There could be some other um, non-asset-related um, revenues here that I'm not aware of. But even on the basis of just uh, if this is all AUM, I would think it might have upside 
that could be 20-30% uh, to a fair value. And then you get a 2% yield along the way, which uh, now, is do, not now, too bad. Now, where were, uh, where were two-year T-bills today, just to, to put that in comparison to uh, you know, a 2% yield? And again, I haven't calculated what the new yield is. It's going to be higher than 2% because the stock got whacked today. Um, you know, what's interesting about this stock is that for, for as many names as came up, in the bailout, I don't remember Waddell and Reed coming up in the bailout as having over-margined or over-levers themselves in the CDMO market. Yeah. You were, know, they, were they part of that? You know, I don't want to pretend that I know much about that, Mo. Uh, if it's not on the value line, unfortunately. You don't know. Now, I could Google it up. I, you know, normally, no, 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 no. I'm just curious if you had ever heard. Well, for years we did the show at libraries and things like that, but I do actually have the Internet here, but... I don't recall, um, although most fund companies have been involved in some kind of thing, and it often is related to, you know, did you have all your I's dotted in a brochure right, that right, went right, to a right, customer? Right. I, just I, meant, I just meant, was it as bad as... I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I look at their equity here, and, uh, you know, clearly it was down in 08, mm -hmm. Um, but it rebounded in '09. It rebounded very nicely in 2010. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, when I look at this, here's a, here's another observation. Look at the relative PE ratio. Today, it's probably trading at about a market multiple. May, may even be at a little bit of a discount to a market multiple. This company hasn't been traded at a discount to the market only twice in the last seven years. As an average, in other words, on the value line, you're looking at that number. As an average, yeah. when you're looking at it, it, according to their numbers only, it has only been at this level twice yeah. in the last seven years. And you know what intrigues me? Now, take a look at the dividends declared, been stable for three years. Yeah. And uh, it looks like, I mean, look at the, look at this return on shareholder equity, 30%, 32% in 2007, 30%, 28, 34%, wow. Yeah, there's a lot to like here. Um, notwithstanding that the stock was down 7% today, I like it even more now than I did yesterday. But the returns on capital in the 20s, high teens, that's impressive. The mm -hmm. return on equity, that's impressive. They have a margin that's uh, in the 20% range. And one of the things I think you have here is a trend at your back is that uh, the traditional wirehouses on Wall Street, your Merrill Lynch's, Goldman Sachs's of the world, UBS's of the world, um, you know, they, they've, they've kind of been, um, you know, they've, they've lost some, I guess, respect over the last few years because of the problems that they've had. And so um, at the margin, they're losing share of investable capital for the baby boomers and people like Waddell and Reed, these fund companies that weren't involved in some of the issues on the street, are picking up some share. And that's not to say that Goldman and and, and such are, aren't great companies or that we we may have worked there, what have you. They are, but the the premise might be that some of these fund companies are going to pick up share. And, and, and that may be happening. If you yeah. also look at look at their look at their net profits, they've gone from ninety six million to one hundred and five to one hundred and fifty seven last year. And if that continues to track, what you see is a pretty seasoned trend. It's not like you're saying, yeah, it's a turnaround candidate based on five or six or seven quarters. Pretty seasoned trend of doing everything right on the fundamentals, great yield, discount to a market multiple. Yeah. It's the only second time in, in all those years. And I don't recall them ever getting caught up in that bailout mess, and that might be a sign of a 
slightly more prudent management team. It could be. I just don't remember. I don't want to state that. But, you know, for all those reasons, Mo, it's uh, I think it's pretty good valuation for a better-than-average company, Waddell & Reed. Ticker, WDR. <laughs> Zoom. All right. So I guess that about wraps it up. Then. Uh, anyway, i got a couple more here to do. I'm just kidding more. around. Yeah. 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 Um, Although it's late. Yeah, you know, we haven't had dinner. We're both you know, professionals, and we uh, we got together here to do the show, and I'm I'm a little hungry, so I was just sort of kidding you. I know you're hungry. You want to get out. And you probably have stuff to do. You got a big road yep. show starting tomorrow or something. You have to buy me a drink before. Well, the show. okay. Let's get this. Let's get this going. Then next up is a company called Gray Television, as opposed to Color Television. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a bad idea. I, I don't know. Change it, the name of the company. It may be bad already. Yeah, it's an old, maybe it's an old name. Uh, GTN is the ticker. And uh, the first thing that caught my eye is across the top of value line, it's 11 times earnings, a 34% discount to the market PE. Mm, but you know what? I wonder, I wonder if that means anything. Uh, well, it could mean that it's cheap. Let's see what that stock did today. Kind of a fun, fun little moment here. Uh, down 4% only. Wow. To... Uh, well, you know the good thing about being a two dollar and fifty cent stock, you can only you, go down. You can't go down that much, right? You can only go down two dollars. Okay, so some of the some of the hair on this is, it is a two dollar and twenty seven cent stock, down from um, back in two thousand five it was at fifteen, the highest it's been recently was eight in oh eight, and you know what's been happening on this thing is that uh, they lost a little bit of money in oh nine, you know revenues went from. 330 to 270 so just that's a 20 percent hit and they you know they couldn't make that up fast enough they lost money but they, they they generally have done okay they lose money i guess every third year that's not terrible um i mean it's not great but in in, in all years they're making margins in the mid 30s to 40 percent range now mo let me ask you something when you see a 35 percent operating margin these guys are doing something proprietary, or nobody would pay them that much, right? I agree. Why do they have these years where they're not making any money? It comes combined with big hits to equity, bigger than the loss they're showing. I think there's some write-offs of some bad properties here, and I wouldn't, I don't know that, but I'd go do a little homework. My guess is the cash flows in here have been really, you know, doing pretty well this whole period. They may have taken a few hits to the balance sheet, but. Uh, you know, the earnings uh, from an operating basis have been pretty good. Well, you know, one of the things that I look at when, when I see this is I say, you know, sales per share have been pretty consistent. I wouldn't say there was an upward trend or a downward trend, but they've been pretty consistent. Yeah. Look at the earnings. You made 17 cents in 2006, then you lost four. Then you made 24, then you lost 83. Then you made 16. I mean, what are these guys doing when you've got a company that you're running with stable revenues, and actually the revenues were ticking up a bit because that's revenues per share and shares yeah. increased, uh, what in God's name are you doing to run a company where your earnings per share are so volatile in a what seems to be a pretty stable sales environment? Yeah. Well, my, my read on that is simply that when you look at their returns on capital, mm -hmm. and I like, I like good, healthy returns on capital... Uh, this company doesn't have them, so 
this is one where I'm not recommending it on the basis of return on capital. So it's return on capital of 6%. Well, when I see a return of capital in the low single digits, what that tells me is their assets are simply overstated. They're not earning a fair return, so there's, those assets are not worth what they're on the books for because otherwise they'd be earning a fair return. So when you see eight years of subpar returns, you know that the balance sheet has assets on there that are simply overstated. And it's it, my guess is that in 07 and in 09, they took write-offs. You see the big steps down in equity, uh, well, particularly in 07, a little bit in 09. And I think that's what they're doing. So I have to set that aside and say, look, this balance sheet makes no sense. They don't have assets on there valued properly. They don't know what they're doing on the balance sheet. But let's look over on the income statement. On the income statement, I have pretty stable numbers, obviously down in 09, up again in 2010. And I've got margins that are in the top decile of all public companies. So clearly, between the sales line and the operating margin line, Everything's great. Right. But something's happening below that line. I'm going to guess it's write-offs. And when you see losses, again, Wall Street doesn't like losses. Even if they're write-offs driven, the first reaction is, oh, crap. And then it, the second one is, well, okay, that's non-cash. But you're not happy. So my guess is that some of the subpar uh, multiple here, the discount, is due to the fact that Wall Street analysts, investors, they don't like seeing these random write-offs. They think that television, as we know it, is in trouble due to Netflix. And what I'm going to suggest is that the cash flows here are pretty strong. If I take the operating margin, which is 40%, multiply it by the er the revenue, which is $350 million. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm actually using a calculator. 350 times... That's $140 million in operating margin. Now, they do have debt. They have uh, $800 million in debt. So let's say that pays, I don't know the interest rate, but let's say it's even 8%. So $800 million times 8%, that's $64 million. I'm going to subtract that from my $140 million in EBITDA. That leaves me $76 million, and I'm going to divide that by 57 Shares. million shares that leaves me a buck 30 before tax mm -hmm. per share and the stocks at 227 and I just covered the debt with an interest ex payment I don't I can't pay the principal right now but I don't need to I just need to live till another day and at this sort of price uh, this thing looks like it's pretty attractive and it's not without its risks but uh, it looks like a pretty attractive Opportunity, and I'd say the only thing you have to worry about is, you know, you're hoping. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe putting words in your mouth, but you're hoping that in a stable revenue environment and and good operating income, uh, once all these write-offs dry up, now the fundamentals will be able to flow down the balance sheet. You'll pick that up in the earnings, and the stock takes off. So the bet you're making is that you don't live through three more years of more write-downs. The question is, have they written down enough? Well, the point I would make is, I don't know if I care about the write-downs, in the sense of, is that really an economic event? No, but the stock cares about the Well, the stock cares, but as you pointed out, at 227, how far can it go? You know, if you bought a stock a buck too much, but it ended up going to 10 at some point, if you look at this on a per, uh, a sales per share basis, 
Mo, and I know that you like that ratio. It's six dollars a share in sales with a forty percent operating margin. Now, oftentimes a stock like that's going to get a multiple of sales yep. with a margin that high, mm -hmm. unless there's something radioactive in the headquarters. Now, I do see that there's eight hundred million dollars in debt. Yeah, and I do you... see they only have three hundred and forty million in sales, so that's a problem. The debt is seven times EBIT, so that's too high, and people view that as too high. But right now the interest looks pretty covered. The most recent tick in uh, you know interest rates is down. I do know that television is actually during this period retained and increased its value in the advertising spectrum, whereas newspapers and radio have struggled. Television has not, and these guys have... The, uh, uh, of their 36 stations, yeah. 35 of them are major network affiliates. And 17 are CBS. CBS uh, put up an earnings number the other day that was amazing. We own that in the shop, and uh, you know that's half their stations are in the number one uh, network. Yeah, i got to admit, that's, that's definitely worth it. If I was going to kick the tires a little harder on one, I'd definitely look at that, especially if you think that sometime in the next year... The balance sheet issues, which I know they're 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 accounting events, they're not cash flow events, but the market treats. Yeah, it the they same. will they will not like that. Let's face it. But if if that is now behind it, and that maybe was what the stock is showing you, even though it got hit today, it's been a been a pretty decent performance since two thousand nine. Maybe you're at the very early stages of a cleanup of the lower part of the balance sheet. Well, if you think television stations have a future, um, and there is a question about that, so I would say the the CBS affiliates, that's pretty important, although, you know, the economics of that in the recent years has been you're having to pay CBS to use their programming, whereas, you know, as recently as five years ago, they were paying you for programming so to carry the programming. So there has been a swing in that regard. But still, uh, CBS is attracting the most um, Internet viewers in terms of network television stations. They're doing a great job there. They've got the number one network and these guys, if I've done my math right, um, I've got pre-tax earnings per share of a buck thirty in a stock at two twenty-seven, and that is after paying the interest on the debt. It's not paying it down, and that big piece of debt is a little scary. What Wall Street could be scared about is simply that that debt is due um, next year, and uh, and there's no one that wants to refinance it and you know and, and they have a, a big squeeze so you do want to go into the 10k there is a schedule in there that shows you when all the debt is due I'm probably going to do that right after the show but the the only thing that could be really scary here is if they have a big chunk of debt due really near term and they don't have someone willing to loan them the money and the bond market's not willing to raise the money for them otherwise I'm pretty intrigued by this Mo gotta tell you so am I next okay so, we're down to the final. We did a reverse name. reverse alphabetical. I did reverse order. alphabetical. In case you're dyslexic out there, you probably think we did it the right way. Some people, I think, you know, they miss the old page numbers. So I started going alphabetical, but I got to mix it up. Yeah, right. Keeps a little bit. On their toes. Keeps them on their toes. Okay, finally, here's one this week that um, neither Mo nor myself have ever heard of, and that's pretty fun. Yeah, it is. Because we've been in the business a long time. And uh, it's called Beasley Broadcast, ticker BBGI. Uh, it's a, a $4 stock. 
Although, again, maybe I better see how that did today. Um, they're trading at 10 times earnings, which again, that's one of the first things that gets my attention is, is it cheap versus is it good? I like cheap and good, but I'm looking for cheap above good, I guess I'd say in my uh, hierarchy of needs. Um, that's uh, 10 times is a 42% discount to the average market PE, so I like that. I then look along the uh, return on total capital line, and that's been bad. Mid single digits, I don't like. The return on equity is in the you know typically low teens, and that's okay, I suppose. But they've done it with some some debt. They have 67% uh, debt to capital, 140 million in long term debt, uh, and I don't love that, but. If I take an 8% interest rate on that, which is sort of where I put, you know, medium companies in terms of what the fair cost of leverage is, and that would be $11 million in, in interest. And if I look over here in the income statement on value line, they got $98 million in sales, 26% operating margin. Let's just call that $25 million and uh, $10 million in interest, 11 So they're two times covered on the interest. And, uh, you know, maybe people like a better number there, but um, I think that's probably okay here in the near term. They run a bunch of radio stations, which has not been a great area, um, but their revenue the past few years has, you know, been reasonably uh, stable, um, although there's definitely a downtrend since 07, 134 million, 121, 96, and then an uptick in 2010-98 and it looks like in, in 2011 uh, they're upticking a little bit so we're right around a hundred million there's 22 million shares so let's call that five bucks a share in sales stock at well, I'm gonna check it here in a minute but it was at four recently and uh, they own 42 stations 26 FM 16 AM they've got them very nicely segmented to uh, you know just little little slices, Hispanic, foreign language, financial, country, news, classic rock, alternative rock, etc. So, you know, they have all these little carved up stations. And I think that radio has taken a pretty big hit, but it, it ain't dead. And uh, advertising generally has been stabilizing. And I do think that there's some technology coming to radio, HD radio and all that, that should keep these guys alive. And, of course, they're all streaming to the Internet now. And in many cases, um, you know, there's apps and all that associated with it. So if you had a little Sony transistor radio in the 60s, clicking on your favorite station, uh, today you're going to have an iPhone and you're going to be clicking on a little button and you're going to get your station. I mean, what? who cares? It's the same thing. And they do that. Um, I'd say the risks here are the debt and the thought that radio advertising in particular is uh, going to continue its, you know, its, its poor performance. And if you thought that, maybe it passed. But what I think is there's an opportunity. There's more listeners increasingly because of mobile devices. They can get the, uh, the radio, and these guys have uh, a good base of stations and some you know, some pretty big towns, Atlanta, Boston, Philadelphia, Miami, West Palm Beach, Las Vegas, uh, etc. So uh, uh, there you have it, Mo Beasley Broadcast. Well, you know, I think there's a...
there's something that that's caught my eye as you were talking. I was looking over these numbers. Now follow yeah. follow this. Yeah. In um, in 2007 and 2008, the stock took a big hit. Yeah. A big hit. Big. And since then, it's been on a rebound. So the question is, what happened in 2008 that triggered such a precipitous decline in the stock? Looks like it more than half. I think I know the answer to that. I do, too. Okay, good. What do you think? <laughs> well, I do know that in 2008, uh, advertising completely dried up. Wrong. And, uh, I totally disagree with Okay. But I, I do know that. But We owned a couple newspapers... And we owned uh, we owned a network television, and in in '08, you know that industrial production number in the fourth quarter plunged like it hadn't plunged in 30 years, and I think that scared the heck out of people. Well, that, here's here's that, an alternative. Okay, alternative past. I live in an alternative universe, so I should Perfect. have an alternative view. Great. What is it? All right. Yeah. Revenues per share in 2007 and 2008 were basically flat. No collapse there. Five dollars and sixty-three cents in two thousand seven. Five dollars and thirty-six. So stable. Yeah. Look at what happened to earnings. Earnings went from twenty-seven cents to a dollar thirty-seven. Do you know why? Probably sold some stations. Exactly. They sold some stations. And yeah. if you look at what happened to their book value over the same period, book value went from three dollars and fifty-eight cents to two ten. Yeah. Look what happened to their debt. Hundred ninety million went to one hundred and seventy million. Yeah. Went to 140 million. Yeah. So you know what I think happened? I think yeah. they sold off some stuff. They got a good price for it. Yeah. They paid down their debt. Yeah. And the stock reset to reflect the downsized company. So there really wasn't any collapse in the stock. They didn't do anything wrong. What the stock is telling you is that this is a very smart company. They would have grown, the stock would have grown through this whole period, but they sold a bunch of stuff. And even though they paid down their debt, yeah, they were a smaller company, maybe smaller, slightly smaller earnings potential. The stock has reset itself at the end of two thousand eight. Yeah, and it's been heading straight up. Yeah, so I'm a lot less concerned about that big dip. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a real name here. You, uh, you see what they, see what they did today. I did not. Let me look that up. What do we got here? B B G I. I. And because uh, to me it, it looks like yeah stable revenue environment just like when we looked at gray a few minutes ago we said hmm media stable revenue environment it may not be growing but it's stable and uh, all the other operating revenue all the other operating ratios look good to me I just think that it's a it's a reset wow this was down only one percent today uh, interesting four cents so it's still above four bucks it's uh. Well, it's actually four thirty-six. So it's gone. So on the value line, this says four oh five, which yeah. was priced a few days ago, but now it says four thirty-six. Let's see the chart here. It's a great. It's a great looking chart after the re- after the reset in two thousand eight. Look. So there's the last five days, and it's got a little uptrend. Although it's such a thinly traded stock that uh, you can see, if you show up to buy any, that in and of itself pushes the stock higher. They're located in Naples, Florida, so it's a good company to uh, to visit for us to in visit the winter. And, yeah. Kick yeah. Some tires. yeah. Uh, Our next show will be from Naples, Florida. No, that, yeah. that's too early. No, right. We got to do that in, so. in January. So I don't have much more to add on this one. I I didn't do a lot of work 
uh, on this as uh, and and people expect nothing more from me. I want to say than that. Um, but you know this this whole advertising area is getting a little bit of improvement. The digital era and the internet advertising are giving advertisers more tools to measure the success of advertising. So it's actually becoming more valuable because you can measure its effectiveness and adjust as you go to make it more valuable. So it's a little bit self-fulfilling based on the new tools. And I, I kind of like that. And it's, uh, it's 10 times earnings. So I'm a buyer. And... Uh since you like valuable things, that only makes sense since we're the value the guys. The value guys. Yeah. So, uh, Mo, I guess we're coming to that sad part of the show that's the end of the show. And I want to thank you very much for joining us again this week. Sounds like you, you might be back again. I would love to do that. Uh, anytime uh, somebody's willing to buy me a great dinner and give me a few free drinks, I'm willing to well we're going to hope the listeners will, so anyone that wants to buy Mo a free dinner and a couple of drinks write on in and sounds like you'll have a chance to hang out with Mo is that <laughs> you, can, you can wire your transfer money to uh, Smith and Walensky's across the street that's and perfect you can pick it up right at the bar so thanks everyone for listening in this has been the uh, August 5th 2011 edition of the Value Line Observer um, we do take email um, and checks uh, you can catch me at Val at thevalueguys.com and Mo is Mo at thevalueguys.com. And uh, thanks for listening in, everybody. See you next week. Good night.